Happy Tuesday, my name is Alan, and my name is Nick. Just kidding, Nick isn't here. He failed his constitution saving throw this time, so it's me by myself for the first time ever, and welcome into the dungeon. This is a story all about Shrew. This happened maybe around a year or two before the current events in the Dragon of Ice by a peak. We pick off in the year 1419 DR, amidst the continuous reconstruction of Lylon under the directives of Lord Dugalt, Nevermember, Lord Protector of Neverwinter. Shrew ekes out a living toiling as a labourer alongside fellow workers. A diverse gathering of craftsmen enlisted to restore the port town to its former glory. Despite lacking any particular expertise himself, Shrew secured a position as labourer by leveraging his diminutive stature, as it proves invaluable for navigating the tight nooks and crannies of construction sites. Enduring the demanding nature of the work for several months, Shrew is faced with meagre compensation and the unrelenting demands of Griselda Koparot, a graft-woven architect and leader of the town council of Lylon. The pay is paltry, the tasks are physically taxing, and Griselda's leadership is marked by intimidation and confrontation, especially towards those she dislikes. Yet amid the hardships, Shrew remains resolute in his determination to fulfil his contract, in the midst of a challenging environment, he aspires to prove to himself that he can see a commitment through to its completion, a personal triumph he seeks amidst the arduous trials of his labour. We find Shrew inside the Umber Hulk's Shell Inn, sat down at a table getting ready to have dinner after a strenuous day of labour. He is talking to a half-elf by the name of Alaric that sits across from him. The half-elf is slender and unassuming. He carries a blend of elven grace and human charm. His eyes, an emerald green, reveal a mind more attuned to books than physical toil. Chestnut hair falls casually around his face, giving him a relaxed, approachable air. Clothed in a simple, well-worn forest green tunic, it lacks the elegance of embroidery but serves its purpose. A practical, nondescript cloak drapes over his shoulders fastened at the front by a makeshift charm. Despite Shrews' attempts to engage in conversation, the half-elf's attention is elsewhere, immersed in the pages of a well-worn book. Absorbed in the written world, he occasionally nods or murmurs in agreement with Shrew, his eyes flickering with words on the page rather than the ones spoken at him. Well, I, I'm positively fed up of these Meals they serve us, or rather excuses for meals. Fish, day in, fish, day out. Steamed soup fish, grilled, baked. It's a miracle they haven't added it to desserts yet. Yes, well, quite, yes. Well, yes, quite indeed. I'm fed up, I tell you. 
The food is trash. The pay is trash. We can't afford anything nicer than fish. I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm going into the kitchens and see if there's anything else we can maybe snack on. As Shrew says this, it grabs Alaric's attention. He lowers his book and looks at Shrew from across the table. Pray, my friend, may I express a modicum of concern regarding the proposition at hand. Engaging in such an endeavor could be perceived as, dare I say, pilfering. Should you find yourself ensnared in the act, the consequence may extend beyond mere expulsion from this establishment. That, indeed, would be the most favorable outcome. Should word reach the formidable Griselda, the Growler, who presides over Leyland's council, the repercussions may escalate considerably. One ought not to underestimate the formidable nature of her authority and the potential consequences it might entail. Yes, well, I, I understand your, your points, they are valid. But you have to understand the potential consequences of me eating more fish. I'm fed up. I've had enough of this. I'm going. Very well, my friend. If matters take a turn for the worse, let it be known that I duly cautioned you. Your course of action, should it prove unfavorable, lies squarely upon your shoulders. So Shu is getting up and he wants to try and sneak into the kitchen. I'm gonna try and make a stealth roll. You have to remember that this is before Shrew became a druid. So he's a commoner really. So I'll be rolling for stealth now. And I won't do it blindly because <laughs> obviously if I do it blindly no one would be able to tell me what I roll. And that's quite impressive actually for my first roll here. I'm starting to think that maybe Nick is the one that is cursed and passes a curse onto me. First roll and I've rolled pretty high. It's an 18. Anyway, in the dimly lit inn, Shrew discreetly rises from his seat, his movements careful and calculated. The wooden floor barely registers his light steps as he navigates the bustling common room, the clatter of tankards and lively conversations providing a convenient cover for his intentions. Approaching the kitchen entrance, Shrew times his movements with the symphony of the kitchen noises. A sizzle here, a clang there, as he slips through the partially open door, the strong aroma of fish fills the air, mingling with the various scents of culinary delights. Within the bustling kitchen, Shu becomes a nimble intruder, maneuvering through the labyrinthine chaos with silent steps. The aromatic trail leads him past bubbling pots and simmering stews until he stumbles upon a partially concealed door. Curiosity compels him to push it open, revealing a hidden larder stocked with unexpected delicacies. His eyes widen with surprise as he discovers an assortment of culinary treasures reserved for esteemed patrons. Among the surprises, Shrew's gaze fixates on a selection of savory sausages. With nimble fingers, Shrew secures a handful of these delectable morsels. Retreating through the kitchen's chaotic symphony, he resumes his seat in the common room. The stolen sausages carefully concealed. The innkeeper, absorbed in daily affairs, remains blissfully unaware of what unfolded in the kitchen. Ah, oh, yes, Shrew, I see you have returned. Were you triumphant in your endeavors? Triumphant indeed. Look at this. And Shrew opens the side bag he was carrying and presents Alaric. 
with four scrumptious looking sausages. And here's where Shrew's obsession with sausages began. Well, my friend, as you engaged in the perilous venture of potentially incurring Griselda's disapproval, I was otherwise occupied delving into the literature pertaining to your affliction. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, d- did you find anything? Anything that could help me with these visions, these nightmares? Yes, indeed. I have stumbled upon some information, but let's converse as we stroll. If you'd like to have a more refined experience with your sausage, it would be prudent for us to relocate from the inn. Yes, yes, great, great idea. Let's let's go. We can we can nibble and walk. As Shrew and Alaric stroll through the streets of Lylon, the town is in the process of being rebuilt. Fresh cobblestones and patches of new pavement intermingle with the warm paths of the past. The air is thick with the smell of sawdust and dirt accompanied by the distant sounds of construction work. Scaffolds prop up buildings like temporary crutches, showing signs of ongoing repairs. Some structures sport a fresh coat of paint, while others reveal layers of age beneath recent touch-ups. The town's residents, wearing a mix of work clothes and tool belts, go about the tasks with a sense of purpose. Barrels filled with construction materials line the streets, and the occasional clank of tools echoes in the air. Shrew and Alaric weave through this evolving landscape, where the atmosphere is less magical and more a reflection of a community determined to give its town a new lease on life. The scene is one of pragmatic process, an ordinary town in the midst of rebuilding itself. Shrew takes out a sausage and begins to to eat it. He offers one to Alaric, who graciously accepts it and starts eating it himself. Between bites, he carries on the conversation. Indeed, my esteemed friend, what you have been undergoing is a manifestation of visionary experiences. To articulate with precision, these visions are focused on a particular geographical location. Or to be even more exact, they center around the Mere of Deadmen. The Mere of Deadmen? Well, that's not too far away from here, but but why the Mere of Deadmen? This makes no sense. Why am I having these visions? Well, I lay no claim to expertise, but my fervor for literature has imparted the notion that individuals harboring latent inherent skills or abilities are occasionally awakened through visions or guided by mentors in a similar fashion. Mm, yes, yes. So, so you are saying that perhaps someone, someone is reaching out to me, a mentor, or, or, per, or perhaps some latent ability, some latent power in me is awakening. Oh, yes, that's exciting. I've always felt kind of at odds with myself, like, like if I don't belong anywhere, but something greater than me is calling me. This is, this is interesting. But what should I do? Should I, should I leave? Should I? Should I explore the Mere of Deadmen? I, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. It's called the Mere of Deadmen for a reason. I wouldn't lost there a single day. Well, my friend, that is a decision not within my purview to make. It rests solely on you. Alaric slings his arm around Shrew, coming to a sudden stop. Shrew is jolted back to the present, the influx of newfound information leaving him momentarily oblivious to his surroundings. I believe we have covered a sufficient distance. It has been a delightful evening, partaking in dinner alongside you. 
However, the later hour beckons, and considering an early rise tomorrow, it may be prudent for us to return to the inn forthwith. Oh, yes, yes, forthwith, indeed. Shu and Alaric make their way back to the inn. Shu diverts his gaze from other patrons and the innkeeper himself, feeling slightly guilty about his earlier escapade, but he makes his way up to the room, beckons goodnight to Alaric, and they both go to bed. The night unfolds uneventfully, and the following morning Shu is awoken by a loud banging sound on the door, followed by the voice of Alaric. Shu, my dear companion, arise from your slumber. Regrettably, our spontaneous nocturnal promenade appears to have resulted in a tardy awakening. What? Oh, 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 no, no. So Shu scrambles around, starts getting dressed, gets his tools, gets his things ready, and opens a door on the other side. Alaric is pacing up and down, clearly worried that perhaps they will be docked some pay because of their tardiness. As Shu and Alaric step outside into the crisp morning air, they are greeted by the bustling activity of Lylon. The town is already alive with the sound of construction. Workers move purposefully, and the lively chatter fills the air. Shrew and Alaric hurriedly make their way towards the site they have been designated to, a two-story building near the town square. As they approach, the workers that have already begun their labour shout down from the building's scaffolding towards them. Oi, how nice of you to join us today! Did the scary nightmares keep you from sleeping again? <laughs> or did you wet your sheets this time? Goodness me, come on, get up here. You two better start pulling your weight, or we will be reporting you to the growler. Then you'll truly have a reason to wet yourself. Jeez, these people don't have a good awakening, reporting us to the growler. We'll report them to the growler if they keep this up. The morning goes on. Alaric is tasked with laying brickwork at the highest point of the building, whilst Shu has been given the arduous job of loading up bricks onto a pallet and hoisting them up to the top using a rope and pulley system. As the sun ascends to its zenith, Shu diligently loads another pallet with bricks. His back throbs with discomfort, and his arms protest with soreness. In these trying moments, his thoughts drift to the solace of the warm embrace of the bed back at the Amber Hulk's shelling. As the load of bricks is almost at the top of the building, Shrew starts to feel a little dizzy. His vision begins to blur at first, and then suddenly, he is surrounded by darkness, a canvas devoid of detail. Slowly, amidst the obscurity, a captivating spectacle unfolds. A large tree stands as a solitary sentinel on an island, its majestic presence casting a commanding aura. The surroundings remain shrouded, allowing Shrew's focus to hone in on the luminescent glow encircling the tree. This otherworldly aura draws Shrew to it, like a moth to a flame. A sudden cacophony fills his ears. It shakes the very floor around him, and Shrew is suddenly cast back into darkness. Moments pass, Shrew feels trapped, like in a dream he can't wake from. Screams start filling the void, cries for help and shouts of anger. Shrew, you lazy son of a bitch, wake up! Shrew suddenly gasps for air and awakes from his trance. His eyes hurting as they get accustomed to the bright light of the midday sun. As consciousness slowly returns, he notices he is lying on the floor, surrounded by scattered debris. 
His gaze follows the wreckage to the pallet he had been hoisting moments ago, now a chaotic heap at the base of the building. The wooden scaffolding, once a sturdy support, lies splintered in disarray. As Shrew sits up, he sees as guards start to surround him. A commanding voice rings out, Apprehend him and take him to Griselda! Shrew, wearing an expression of confusion, inspects the scene around him. His eyes widen as he observes Alaric lying motionless atop a section of scaffolding that has broken off, plummeting to the ground. No, no, no! Alaric! Alaric! Wake up! Are you, are you okay, Alaric? Wait! Put me down! Unhand me! I, I need to get to my friend! The guard turns around to Shrew with a stern look on his face. Your friend? No, no. You are going to see our friend. The guards guide Shrew beyond the town's borders, escorting him along a dusty and uneven road towards the settler's campground. Tears well up in Shrew's eyes, obscuring his vision, an inadvertent shield against the curious onlookers whose gaze he can sense. The path of dirt leads to a disorganized array of tents, and amid the makeshift dwellings, Griselda's temporary lodging comes into view. The large tent stands proudly in the midst of all the others, its expensive canvas billowing gently in the breeze. Supported by sturdy poles and anchored by taut guy lines, the tent exhibits an impressive structure that commands attention. As Shrew is taken closer, the sheer size of the tent becomes apparent. It offers ample space for a multitude of activities or gatherings. The guards stop outside the tent, still apprehending Shrew. The one seemingly in charge shouts out, Griselda! We have a matter of great concern that demands your immediate attention. After a short while, Griselda Copperwort emerges from within her tent. A formidable dwarven figure stands before Shrew. She commands attention with a gruff demeanor and sturdy presence. Her weathered face shows a wear of time, marked with deep wrinkles and lines. A pair of sharp brown eyes peer from beneath thick eyebrows, radiating an intensity that demands respect. She is dressed in practical earth-toned robes and wears a heavy tool belt with various instruments, showcasing her hands-on approach to the town's reconstruction. Her grey hair, pulled back into a tight bun, reveals a set jaw that rarely softens. Despite her rugged appearance, Griselda exudes strength, displaying an unwavering resolve in every movement. Her voice, when she speaks, is commanding and authoritative, earning her the nickname The Growler, although no one tells her to her face. Her leadership style is stern and committed, forming the foundation for Lylon's ongoing rebuilding efforts. Who do we have here? She bellows as she looks Shrew up and down. The guards don't waste time and fill her in. This is Shrew tossed with Building 34 in the town square. At midday today, he fell asleep on the job to catastrophic consequences. Part of the scaffolding collapsed, and at first inspection, various workers have been injured. Some may have been killed. Griselda walks up to Shrew, almost matching him in height. She meets his eyes with fiery resolution. Yes, I remember you, an unskilled waste of space, a simpleton and an undignified excuse for a halfling. I took a gamble on you. You said you could be useful, and this is how you repay me. I will not waste another moment with you. 
You are banned from Lylong. You shall be stripped from your belongings and will not be allowed to gather provisions before you leave. The wilds can decide your fate. And judging by your ineptitude, I have a feeling that you are ill-prepared for what they have in store for you. I very much doubt that you shall make it past tonight. With that, Griselda turns around and disappears within her tent. The guards escort Shrew to the southern gates. When they get there, Shrew is inspected and relieved of all his belongings. Left in undergarments, he is unceremoniously thrown out of town. As the guards leave, Shrew picks himself up and dusts himself off. Oh, that is not how I expected the day to go. No, not at all. I... Oh, I do wish that Alaric is, is alright. I'm sure he's... he's strong and... Well, well, my kidding is not strong at all, but hopefully he, he, his big brain and, and, and his love for books helped him in some way. Maybe he, he knew how to fall, yes, he knew how to fall, that's it. I'm sure he's, he's doing fine, but what should I do? I, I, can, I cannot go back. Should I perhaps go to the Mirror of Deadmen? I want to see what all those visions are about. Shrew decides to head off to the Mirror of Deadmen. As he's walking, towards the direction, it dawns on him that he has no clothes, no provisions, and he will have to survive the first night if he's ever going to make it all the way to the Mirror of Deadmen. After walking for the best part of the afternoon, he starts feeling hungry. His sausages that he stole from the kitchen were left behind with his garments when the guards stripped him. I must find some food and, and perhaps some water. Um, I, I also should start a campfire, no doubt. I'm gonna roll a survival check for Shrew to see if he's able to come across any food or materials that may aid him in lighting a fire. So here goes the survival check. Yeah, not good, that's a four. So Shrew searches the immediate area, looking for anything, but he's not used to survive in the wilds. He's come from a big city, from Neverwinter previously, and now he has been living in Lylong. Even though he was fed up of fish, it sure kill a good old stew of fish right about now. Similarly, he finds dried wood and sticks, but he has no idea how to light a fire. Those are usually lit for him. So he's there in the wilds, helpless, hungry, and without a clue of what he's doing. Oh my, I, I, I can't, I'm not cut out for this. I, I, I don't think I'll be, be able to make it in, in the wilds after all. Uh, is this the end of Shrew? Has my life led up to this? Dying in some backwater town? Kicked out for something that was not entirely my fault? No, it cannot be. I need to survive this night. With that poor roll, Shrew managed to find some dried leaves, dried grass, that he fashions into a bit of bedding, so he at least may lay and rest in something softish. It's not very good, it's brittle, it kind of flakes off and flies off with the wind, but he has something at least. As he's making himself comfortable, as comfortable as he can for the night, he starts hearing a noise coming from somewhere around his feet. What is that? The light is now waning, but in the twilight he can see two beady eyes and two long teeth charging towards him. A rat is attacking. 
a rat that has been starved as well, sees Shrew as perhaps his next bountiful meal. So the attack is gonna bite Shrew on his feet whilst Shrew is trying to scramble up. Oh damn, <laughs> that's a 19, that does it. So that's 1d1 damage from the rat. Ow! What are you doing, you stupid vermin? Leave my toes alone! Shrew in retaliation is gonna try and kick the rat away. Let's see if I hit. Oh yeah, yeah, that hits 17. And that being an unarmed strike is actually a zero because Shrew's strength modifier is minus one. So the, so the rat flinches backwards and starts charging at Shrew again for another bite. This time it doesn't hit as Shrew quickly gets up and evades the lunging attack of the rat. Shrew scrambles around to find something and picks up a branch that he had earlier collected to try and create a fire. Using the branch as a club, he's gonna try and hit the rat. But unfortunately, he misses as the rat had time to prepare while Shrew fumbled around looking for his makeshift weapon. The rat goes again, but now Shrew is warming up. He sees the lunge as the rat opens his mouth wide trying to take a bite out of Shrew, but he expertly dodges. Shrew is going again with his club. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah, he misses again. The rat is too quick and nimble for Shrew. He's struggling. The sun is now quickly settling, making it harder for Shrew to see his target. The rat takes advantage of this, moves behind Shrew and tries to aim for his neck now. Ooh, that hits. Shrew takes a total of one piercing damage. Oh, the bloody rodent got my neck. Be gone with you. He tries to strike the rat again with his club, this time hitting it and dealing one damage, but that's enough to kill the rat as he collapses to the ground, lifeless. Well, 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 look at me, taking care of myself, hunting. I am hunting now. The wilds will always provide, and if you're able to see opportunities around you, you will always be okay. Now, dinner is served. Shrew picks the rat up and, I mean, it's looking healthy. It's not looking like a sewer rat. It's kind of a, you know, a country rat. So he closes his eyes, takes a big gulp and takes a bite out of the rat, raw and all, as he is unable to make a campfire. I'm gonna roll a constitution to see what this does. Yeah, Shrew immediately as he bites into the rat, hairs start getting in between his teeth and stuck to the top of his mouth. A bit of blood squirts onto his face and down his mouth. The horrible texture, taste and toughness of the rat meat surprises him as he starts chewing into it. And he can't hold it. He just spits the rat meat out, disgusted, trying to spit the hairs out of his mouth. <coughs> this is not what I had imagined. Not at all. Oh, how I do long for that, for those baked fish back at Lylong. What am I to do? I shall go hungry tonight. Defeated, Shrew decides the best thing to do is to try and fall asleep. And under the open sky, Shrew lies on the ground, trying to make himself comfortable with a makeshift bedding he tried to craft. Shivering against the night's cold embrace, the lack of the campfire or any semblance of camping gear leaves him exposed to the elements. 
The chilly air clings to him. The uneven ground beneath offers little comfort. The ambient sounds of the nocturnal wilderness surround him, adding to the uneasy, restless night that awaits him. Agitated, shrew tosses and turns, haunted by the day's events, anxious thoughts about the fate of his friend plague his mind. And he desperately clings to the hope that, by some miraculous chance, Aravik has managed to survive. The ominous words of Griselda linger like an unwelcome spectre, repeating the grim prophecy, you will not make it past tonight. As a weight of fear presses down on him, Shrew succumbs to the terror, and finally sleep claims him. As Shrew opens his eyes, a suffocating shroud of darkness surrounds him, prompting a swift rise to his feet, his senses heightened by surprise and confusion. Was Griselda right? How the wilds claimed me? While pondering his fate, a faint green light flickers in the distance, catching the corner of his eye. Turning towards it, Shrew fixates on the enigmatic glow, watching as it brightens and dims in a rhythmic fashion, almost resembling the beat of a heart. With the encroaching darkness nearly enveloping him, Shrew takes decisive action and runs towards the pulsating light. Upon reaching the source, the light paves Shrew in a comforting warmth, the green glow surrounding him and lifting his spirits. In that moment, he experiences a profound sense of being heard, loved, and wanted. However, as swiftly as the feeling comes, it vanishes, accompanied by the disappearance of the light. Despair creeps over Shrew, until in the distance, another light flickers into existence. He sprints towards it, but this time the light appears to dance away, a cruel tease, as if offering a fleeting moment of kindness, only to now mock him. Undeterred, Shrew accelerates. Initially, he senses his heart pounding against his ribcage and his lungs gasping for air. But after a moment, a surge of energy propels him forward. Fatigue dissipates and he maintains the pace until finally reaching the elusive light. Once more, he basks in the soothing embrace of green light. And once more, the haunting pains of his past dissolve into nothingness. A profound sense of peace blankets him, harmonizing with the world. The radiance intensifies steadily, nearly blinding Shrew. He witnesses the light's valiant struggle against the encroaching darkness that had surrounded him. Abruptly, the brilliance expands, flooding everything with a vivid green glow. Shrew shields his eyes instinctively, though he is compelled to close them entirely. The luminous radiance permeates his closed eyelids, filling his vision in an all-encompassing brilliance that surprisingly brings no discomfort. As he reopens his eyes, daylight bathes the surroundings in the soft glow of a pristine and clear sky, stretching above him like a vast blue canopy. The vast marshland extends in all directions, and before him a solitary gnarled ancient tree stands tall, a lone sentinel overlooking the island it inhabits. Atop the tree, the once bright green light emerges, visible even in the daylight. It descends gracefully towards Shrew, landing 20 feet in front of him. Upon contact with the ground, the light transforms into a surge of green vines that gracefully ascend towards the sky. Woven together by an enchanting force, the vines take on a semblance of form. In a final burst of verdant energy, the light vanishes, unveiling the figure of a woman. Her skin carries the texture of polished wood, bearing intricate patterns resembling the delicate grains of ancient trees, radiating an otherworldly glow. 
Her emerald green hair flows down in wavy strands. Her presence resonates with natural magic. Ethereal vines and leaves gracefully adorn her woodland attire. Eyes, deep pools of forest green, glimmer with ancient wisdom. The air around her shimmers with a tranquil aura. With a gentle gesture of her hands, she begins to float towards Shru. Descending gracefully, she lowers herself before Shru. As a hand gently alights on Shru's shoulders, a surge of energy courses through him, infusing his being with a profound sense of purpose and belonging. With a deliberate and measured movement, she brings her lips near Shrew's ear, and in a soft, melodic whisper she asks, You have arrived, my child. Welcome home. And that is where we're going to end today's session. Thank you very, very much for listening in. As I said before, Nick failed his constitution saving throw. He hasn't been feeling 100% lately. So it fell upon me to take on the tasks of DMing, <laughs> self-DMing my first episode. Because we didn't want to leave all you lovely listeners without an episode to listen to this week. So this is what I came up with, a little story about Shrew. Anyway, as I said, I hope you enjoyed it. And this week for you Buy Me A Coffee subscribers, fortunately we won't be able to record an Into The Studio episode again. But don't worry, we'll get one going when we resume the normal episodes. But anyway, talking about uh, Buy Me A Coffee, if you want to be part of the membership and get those exclusive behind-the-scenes episodes as little podcasts there in Buy Me A Coffee, just go to i2td.com, that's our website, and you'll find all the links to Buy Me A Coffee and everything else there. So you can subscribe to one of our membership levels and you'll get those behind-the-scenes things and more coming in the future. At Buy Me A Coffee, you can also donate items and potions where it will allow you to become part of the stories we tell and it will help us tremendously both in-game and outside of the game as you'll be helping us push this podcast forward so thank you very much for that if you do not want to donate or cannot donate do not fear you can still help us tremendously by liking commenting subscribing all these things that you do on social media and the podcast players of choice and again we Thank you very much if you do do that. It helps us as a podcast grow. And having said all that, it takes us to what? It takes us to what? To the end of the episode club, the last ones standing. Yes. Here's where you use the password I will be giving you today in a comments anywhere you can find us, X, Discord, wherever. Go to i2td.com again and you'll find the links there. You put a comment with the password we give you and then we'll decide the week Selkijo Masfrada for the comment that makes us laugh the most or makes us you know, whatever. The one we decide is the best one that week. So without further ado, the, the password for this week is Rock Bottom. Because Shrew, I think, hits rock bottom in this episode. And hopefully from here on is all going up. So yeah, use rock bottom in a comment and let's see what you come up with. So without further ado. Thank you very much for tuning in and hope to catch you next time as we delve into the dungeon. <laughs>